Mr. Blown, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We have another category review episode for you today as we inch ever so closer to Academy Awards Sunday, February 9th, because the Academy or God or somebody hates all of us in this industry trying to make this schedule so truncated this year. But that's what we have to deal with early in February this year, as opposed to late February or early March. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Mike, screenplay talk today. And we have a special guest again to help us out. Ryan L. Terry from RLTerryRealView.com. Uh, his featured post right now, he's got his top 10 movies of 2019 out there. He's got reviews for a bunch of films that are now in theaters as he always does we've collaborated a few times before once on the movie event review of pet cemetery misspelled of course the second time with our all the horror clip show from this past october where we asked our friends to tell us how they would spend their zombie apocalypse we loved ryan's answer about yeah. heading to alabama and just knowing Alabamians, which was very funny. <laughs> so we're excited to have Ryan on today. He's a screenwriting professor at the University of Tampa. He knows his stuff, and we're going to talk some screenplays with him. Yeah, and if you haven't joined us before for what exactly a category review episode is, we've done them the last couple years since we've started previewing the Academy Awards Sunday. We're expanding them a little this year. Uh, generally and in, in, in historically, what they have been is Mike and I will go through the categories, we'll go through every single nominee, and we'll tell you specific reasons why each nominee will and will not win the Oscar on Oscar Sunday. Uh, this year we're adding guests into the process, so we're going to start like we did with our Academy Queen's Best Actress episode that was released last week. We're going to start in the front half of this episode with the guest, have Ryan on, have him break down and talk about the categories in general. And then in the back half of this episode, Mike and I will be finishing up with the traditional layout for the category review where we will be going through the Academy nominations and telling you why they will and won't win. And at the end of all of that, at the end of the episode, Mike and I will be ranking the nominees. We're doing both screenplay categories today, so we're going to go a little bit, probably a little bit faster through them, and we will be ranking both original and adapted screenplay. Again, just as a reminder, this is not going to be Mike and I telling you what we think should be nominated. Uh, that's going to be at the Mike, Mike, and Oscars Award Show at the end of this year, which is going to be in a couple weeks, coming up on probably during Oscars week. Mm -hmm. But we're just going to be giving you our personal ranks, our personal preferences of the five nominees in each screenplay category when the time comes. As for right now, let's get into it. Ryan Terry, we're happy to have him here, and we will see you guys on the other side. All right, on the line, MMO Universe, we have Ryan L. Terry. Ryan, thanks for doing this. How are you doing today, man? Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm doing great, and it's uh, always a privilege to get to uh, talk with you guys, and uh, this is the third time over the last, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11 months that we've uh, had a chance to collaborate, and I'm very thankful for having been invited back, even though uh, after uh, last night's war on Twitter, I'm either the bravest uh a critic who's willing to voice a contrarian opinion on a front runner or the most hated. So it is, <laughs> it is one or the other. So 
I half expect you to just say, you know what, uh, you're a little toxic right now. We uh, we can't bring you on, but uh, I I, uh, I I appreciate you being brave and still having me on the show, even though I may cost you some listeners. No, we're right now. We're, we're this is these category reviews are turning into just like Twitter beefs on display because yeah. the first episode was Academy Queens True. and that was a year long one. So you're fitting right in line. We're just we're we're morphing with the purpose of these episodes. Is all it is. It's I good think. radio. All right, Toxic Avenger. Here we go. Uh, I wanted to start off with a question about the front runner for original screenplay here. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is in your top 10. It's taken an early lead with the Globe and the Choice. The WGA is is going to tab somebody else. But can you talk about what you think makes Tarantino's script special to you as a writer? Perhaps why this writer's branch of the Academy would vote for it? Sure. I think this is uh, one of the, the best examples to talk about. Uh, and and not not just because it's a front runner right now. Even before nominations came out, this is a great one to talk about hmm. uh, as a writer, as a screenwriting professor. Uh, because not to oversimplify it, but it's a love letter to old Hollywood. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I you know, I think you know having a fun, solid, great story is just as good, if not better, than any old message-driven plot. And I'm not knocking message-driven stories. I love Little Women. It was great. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 1917 really enjoyed, even though it didn't technically make my 2019 because it didn't come out until the middle of January. But that's neither here nor there. And so there are, I mean, there are great stories. Bombshell had a you know, great message. And so I, I don't, you know, but you don't always have to have a strong message for it to be a great film. And what I love about uh, Tarantino's script here is that you know, it's not just a love letter. It, it, it is, but but mm -hmm. but it's more than that. I, I love how it represents uh, a time uh, in which we loved great stories. You know, we, we weren't um, you know, we didn't feel the need to be to uh, be social justice warriors. And and if that's your thing, listeners, that's great. I'm I'm not I'm not knocking it. But but. Not all these yeah, films. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best script. And right. uh, in this particular case, the the originalness of the original screenplay is definitely on display. I would agree. This is also one that takes a familiar, not only familiar story, a a, a familiar historical event, and mm -hmm. it uh, has fun with it in in much respect to everybody involved. You know, this is. Uh, a story in which uh, we can truly connect with these characters. Uh, it is it is hard to get away with a, a day in the life of. I, I often tell my students, you know, you know, a day in the life of is not a goal. Um, but uh, <laughs> the way Tarantino worked uh, worked this is, you could argue that the external goal of our central characters was thwarting the. Uh, you know, the murders by the Manson family right. uh, of Sharon Tate and her friends. And so you could argue that that is the goal. And then if you accept that as the external goal, you go back through the rest of the film, and I, and I saw it three times. So you go back through the rest of the film, and you can see how everything is pointing to this as the external goal. So it, it's not simply a day in the life of, because day in the life of dealing with life is not a goal. Dealing with life is incidental 
to the character. You deal with life as a result of all the conflict and obstacles that you have to overcome getting to that goal. So that that is the goal of this story. And the, the characters are well-developed. Uh, they're likable. They are fun. This is like an, an equivalent of a you know big MGM musical. I mean, it's yeah. not a musical, but it, it's sort of the... The kind of the the straight drama dramedy, if you will, of uh, an MGM musical. It, it's big, it is over the top, uh, but everything is still within this realm of reality. All the way down to there's a big poster of Funny Girl on the side of the soundstage, you know, which yeah. is Columbia Pictures, Sony, you know, who who released this. And at the time, you know, Funny Girl came out. And since this is an award show, you know, Streisand wins the you know Academy Award for Best Actress in mm-hmm. Funny Girl. So all of that just works together to make this beloved story, future classic. And I, I think this is one which will be talked about in the same way that we talk about Pulp Fiction and some of, uh, and some of his others, because uh, he knows what it's like to be a lover of movies. And so he writes a movie that you know does play to that crowd and and Mm. it it works for general audiences too but you know that this guy loves movies and tarantino unapologetically loves movies and we love movies you know this is it's fun and i don't really hear people going at each other's throats over it either and maybe the reason they're not going at each other's throats over this regardless if you think it's one two or three i don't hear people going at each other's throats because i think it's hard to dislike because he delivered us something that we can truly love and appreciate and enjoy with our friends and family. It's kind of ironic that you're talking about that way about a Tarantino script, yeah. seeing how far he's come. But you're highlighting a lot of good things and a lot. Of, I mean, I've been smiling the whole time you've been talking, but you're highlighting a lot of positives and why this is probably the leader in the clubhouse right now. Rewatchability, degree of difficulty, charming cast, etc. Symphony of hippie beatdowns. <laughs> yes. We have. Spoiler warning. And don't forget we have, the feet. Yes, right. <laughs> and of course, this much, will be in every podiatrist's office, and so I'll play, play on the TV. <laughs> we have *Knives Out*, *Marriage Story*, *Parasite*, *1917*. Those are the other nominees in this category. So, as a writer, which story of those remaining four nominees really has impressed you the most? Oh, that is um, uh, that's a that's a tough one. It's *Parasite*, right? Uh, <laughs> Oh, oh no! Uh, you were gonna. Uh, I I just lost you a few listeners right there. Um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm not going to. Um, we we can touch on that later if uh, if we want because it is yeah. the feud that Mike one and I have had with virtually everybody else. I, it's fun. It it I I feel as though it got a little out of hand last night, but um, not not so much on my end, but on those who just like to personally attack. But at the end of the day. It's fun. We love talking movies. We should we should have fun in our disagreements and and never personally attack one another. What I admire is somebody who can wholeheartedly disagree with me in, in every way possible, but they are willing to defend their opinion and and give examples and and justify why they feel the way they do. That I may still disagree with at the end of the day, but you know what? I admire it because we should be um, more willing to build up one another versus tear one another down, even when we're 180 degrees opposite. That's very well said, and I think if anyone follows us on Twitter, that could be highlighted by the fact that you and I haven't agreed on a single film in the past 18 months, <laughs> and Mike, except for Parasite. So. And I want to let you know I really admire you, based on Ryan's logic here. 
for like the last 40 movies we've reviewed. <laughs> oh, no, very very well great. said. I think it's you said that sweet. very well, Ryan. Thank you. And I, I hope uh, I hope others, you know, um, you know, uh, take heed of that and, and think about that next time you you wholeheartedly disagree before personally attacking them, calling them a crackhead, which I was last night, or inaccurate, um, or... Ryan, un- Ryan, Ryan, un- excuse me. Are you a crackhead? <laughs> uh, not today. Not today. Okay. All right, so. well, it's Sunday. Yeah, the day of rest. All right, so maybe to fr- frame this question a little better, you know, I'm wondering, what do you think is the best overall plot? And then what's the best character in yeah. the group? Because we're, we're talking about the originality of this category. I mean, that's what it's called, right? So yeah. what do you think? Overall composition... And characterization. Could you, you know, determine what's what your bests are in those two areas? Sure. Um, I think in answer to both of those, it's Knives Out. I, oh, I, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly confident it's not going to win. Not because I don't want it to. I just, you know, just looking, you know, looking at, you know, the competition and the and precursors and stuff. I, I, I mean, it's, there's a little bit of a gap there. But it doesn't take away from the fact that out of all of these, uh, it's the one I like the most. And I, I, I like it because it's... Uh, original, yes. It doesn't feel, you know, inspired by Agatha Christie or Columbo or Murder She Wrote, and, yeah. and 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 I love how we get Murder She Wrote in Knives Out. Like that, that is great. I hope Dame Angela Lansbury is aware of that if she hasn't seen the movie. It was refreshing. Uh, it was uh, it was fun, and, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record. Fun, fun, fun. But yeah. sometimes we forget that movies and films. You know, to some degree, you know, should be fun. And yeah, others are challenging and stuff. And that's great too. But let's not forget, let's not underestimate or undervalue fun and entertainment. Preach. And, and not only is Knives Out entertaining, it has a brilliantly orchestrated plot. Uh, it, it It's so easy for something like this to have all these plot holes. And there's probably somebody saying, oh, there's this, that, or the other. So maybe I'll say no major plot holes. Right. It's a simple plot with complex characters. It's not a complex plot. The best stories out there, whether or not they are simply uh, there to be fun movies or thought-provoking films, uh, the best stories are simple plots with complex characters. And this is a simple plot. Well, the complexities in Knives Out are character-driven. Mm-hmm. The conflict is derived out of these characters. I mean, it's a simple. It, it, it is a murder mystery. I mean, it cannot get much more simple than that. We want to find the guy or girl who you know murdered Thromby, if applicable, if it wasn't a suicide. And so that is. I mean, that's the goal to solve the mystery. And so everything else uh, just works together, uh, just like a a symphony, like an orchestra. You have. You know, all of these moving parts and you must, you know, never lose sight of your role as the conductor, uh, all these various parts and various moving pieces that they still must act in unison. And that is exactly what we have here in Knives Out. We have a symphony and orchestra on screen and uh, the the characters are all very well developed except for cell phone kid he 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 was canting out to furniture um but um but we have uh you know they're all different they speak with their own voice they all serve a a purpose in in the story you know they're not treated as simply filler for the most part you know maybe a couple of characters are furniture but you know but that's the case and you know i mean every story with a large ensemble cast right it's one that I, i saw twice and i found it highly 
entertaining both times, even though I knew the outcome. And I loved going back in and looking for things I may have missed before. I, I love a film that um, has that degree of rewatchability where you can find something new every time. And it never devolves into parody. Uh, and it would have been so easy for it to do that. And uh, now parodies are great. Love Clue. Clue's a great film. But this did not need to be Clue. This needed to be what it was. And, and it, it danced that line and it, it, it delivered humor, but it took itself seriously. I, you know, I would liken it to uh, uh, Paul Feig's Spy. And so it, it takes huh. itself seriously as a spy movie, but it's still hilariously funny and rewatchable. This takes itself seriously as a murder mystery, but it has some incredibly funny parts. And these characters are engaging and you, and you love to watch them on screen. So two rave reviews right there. Once upon a time in Hollywood, knives out. We're gonna say this is why we're friends with Ryan though, because <laughs> yeah. he's, he's speaking to us. He's, he's speaking our language with these movies. Yes, here. sir. <laughs> we're gonna save your pick for the category to the very end. So we're gonna transition now to adapted screenplay. Our front runner, and I, I think it is the front runner with the Critics' Choice win, Greta Gerwig's Little Women. It's in your top ten as well, I believe, right? Yeah. And uh, she pulled quite the trick on us as an audience. She changed the narrative device, essentially, to get this story across because she's using the flashback structure. She's starting with Joe March as an adult. And the plot line, the through line, really, of the film is Joe March as an adult. So I'm wondering if this adaptation, and there's a lot of changes from the book, did this adaptation impress you as much as it did us? I loved Little Women. In fact, I just uh, rewatched it for uh, coming home for my dad's 60th birthday this weekend. Oh, and nice. So I, uh, so I rewatched it uh, with a friend of mine. And so I, I knew I was going to like it for a second time. I didn't doubt that. But I was curious, you know, how does it hold up on a rewatch? Because until you rewatch it, you don't know. I can't go off of what somebody else says about a rewatch because, you know, we, you know we're, we're all different. And so I was uh, challenging myself to like it as much as I did the first time I watched it. And, and I did. It felt just as familiar, just as fresh. I love how she adapts, you know, Little Women, which I, you know, I haven't read. I, I'm aware of it. I, I, I'm not a bibliophile. I, I don't spend a lot of time reading books. I read a lot of screenplays. And so it's not one that I've read even in, you know, high school or undergrad, but I'm aware of it. And uh, it, it's a great novel, one of the best that, you know, that we've ever had. And so uh, I love how it's a modern story that takes place during this period of time that's full of complex emotions. It's full of uh, we're analyzing societal expectations and we have various ambitions. You know, some are desired careers, some just want a family. And I love Emma Watson's line uh, in uh, just before her wedding. It's like, uh, just because my, and I'm probably not quoting it exactly, but just because my dreams are different from yours doesn't mean that they're unimportant. And, mm. and, I, and I love how we're playing around with this idea of, um, of desires and dreams. And it feels as though um, this adaptation is both of its time and today. You know, to the casual observer, you know, this may seem like a story for women. Uh, young and old alike, uh, but it's a powerful story for anybody that has dreams and you know feels trapped by whatever societal or familiar you know, forces that they have to 
deal with on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, people who are putting out, you know, the clickbait that men don't like this movie should be ashamed of themselves. Every, every, yeah, co-sign every, there, every, everybody like this film. I mean, that's, it, it's just clickbait. Listeners, when you hear an outlandish opinion like that, it is probably clickbait. So don't do them the favor of retweeting it, liking it, uh, regramming it, you know, whatever you want to do. Because it, it, it's there, it's there for clickbait. And so, because this, I, I don't, somebody would have to have like no heart at all. Or be Scrooge pre Ghost of Christmas Past President you have to come to find this, you know, to find this a bad movie. This is a great film. Love the adaptation. And it's fresh because in this uh, translation from page to screen, you know, we have a Louisa May Alcott in Joe March. And I like how we get the story of the author and we get the original plot weaving together uh, in and out like a, a brilliant work of art. And it's uh, it gives us something that we can appreciate the author's journey, we can appreciate the character's journey, and we can see how these events shaped uh, this, you know, quote Louisa May Alcott and how she would, you know, write the story. And then I love the ending. You know, is it, uh, is, is the ending in the movie? Is this the ending from the book? No, does she really go after the guy? And I love how we don't have an answer to that because we don't need an answer. I feel the, I love the ambiguous ending because then you can, uh, you can believe what, whatever you want. Both of them work. And so if you, if you want to believe that she, you know, doesn't go after the guy because that's, uh, that's what inspires you. Excellent. If you love the more, um, I think it was in, um, was it a network uh, where we talk about the Hollywood endings? I think that was, I think that was a network. And uh, if you want to have that quote Hollywood ending, that's great too. Both of them work and uh, it just shows, you know, how you can take a story that's familiar, it's been done over and over again, and find a new way of expressing the story, expressing the message, and crafting something new out of something that we have previously experienced. Yeah, I think what I what I relate to most, and ironically, is you're saying how it's such a, a relatable adaptation for not only little women, but it really you know any grown men can relate to it, or boys, girls of all ages, and that's slackers who haven't read the book like the book of you. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> One of the themes that we hammered in our OSP of it as well, uh, just talking more broadly about the adapted screenplay category, to going to uh, combine a couple questions here, so it might sure. be a bit of a doozy, but we got Joker, Jojo Rabbit, the two popes, and the Irishman. And that's the rest of the screenplay, the adapted screenplay field anyway. Can you, as a screenwriting professor, can you break those down kind of by act? Can you maybe cherry pick which of those four you thought had the best act one, which of those four had the best act two, and which of those four you thought had the best finish out of the remaining, having uh, already dissected Little Women? <laughs> sure. One of my biggest criticisms of Joker has been the screenplay. I, uh, I think the performance is outstanding. Uh, it is uh, certainly a magnificent the film is a magnificent depiction of a madman i i love having the is it joker is it not joker i love having that conversation i'm of the he is not joker i'm of that camp but i love having i love having the discussion you know is he or is he not joker but i'm also uh jack nicholson all the way in terms of (laughs) in in terms of joker but um, so that's that's been uh, one of my biggest hangups with it uh, has been the screenplay. I think that it has a um, a solid first act. We have a, the the rising action. The setup uh, works very well and certainly does point 
to the showdown and the realization at the end of the film. And so they they harmonize together very well. They also answer one another. If we were to take a look at Joker as a uh, in, in um, a chiastic form, uh, it's a little bit of Greek there, listeners. Uh, but it's where the <laughs> beginning, you know, answers the end, so on and so forth. And so it looks so you Good. can um, so you work your way down to the central idea, and it does that. And so I, I yeah, you know, that's great. I, I like how it does that. I don't like the uh, second and third acts uh, as much. I think the mm-hmm. first act uh, is is solid, so we'll go we'll go with that. And Jojo Rabbit loved everything about Jojo Rabbit. It was a great message. Uh, it was a looking at a familiar scene through new eyes, which provides us with a new perspective of like how how did a child view this? How would a like how did a child yeah, deal with this? Because they're point. There, there are children there, just like there are children here, and they're not experts at you know critical thinking. I mean, they they have to. They're going to interpret the world much differently than an adult. And, and I like how this is the first time that uh, we are, you know, as the audience, being forced to do this because I mean, Nazis as you know a backdrop that is nothing new. We, we we've had it in fun you know fun movies like Indiana Jones. We've had it in and more uh, thought-provoking movies such as Inglorious Bastards. So that's not new, but the the way Taika Waititi uh, used the backdrop, that is new. Just like with Little Women, this is a new expression of a, you know, not original idea. You know, Nazis as a background, that's not original. Right. His expression of it is what is original, and it's his expression which is what, uh, you know, so many people like about Jojo Rabbit. And so I, I, that one took, I think, took a little bit to really get started for me. So if I was to say, you know, Joker had the strongest first act, I would uh, say that Jojo Rabbit had the strongest third act um, okay. because I, uh, the, the showdown uh, was uh, teary-eyed, uh, but it, it shows growth. And so we have sad tears. We have happy tears. Uh, we, <laughs> have, uh, you know, we have you know, all kinds of tears with uh, Jojo Rabbit. And um, I um, uh, must confess, I have not seen uh, either Two Popes uh, or The Irishman, so I, um, I'm unable to comment on it. But if, if I may um, extrapolate from, from what I've read on uh, both of those, just in, in terms of what I've read, I yeah. feel that The Irishman has a very strong second act from the conversations that I've had. I haven't had nearly as many conversations about Two Popes or you know read about it. Which is a shame. I mean, I, I should have watched it. Anthony Hopkins is one of my favorite actors. It might be for a reason that you haven't had many conversations about it, though, to be yeah. just speaking frankly. I was getting all hyped up that you were going to have Popes versus Gangsters for Act 2 <laughs> champion here. That was, that was making me happy. I, I, I thought Irishman's uh, best aspect was Act 2. Okay. The Two Popes, I don't know if I would have it as a superlative for any act. The Two Popes mm-hmm. is a conversation between two old dudes. Two old guys <laughs> becoming friends yeah. and also talking about serious subjects. And then and not talking about other not serious subjects. About those serious <laughs> subjects, I we didn't like the two popes as much as most people, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll have to get you to watch. Uh, turn on your Netflix, maybe uh, get at us on film Twitter. For yeah, that. for the sure. Irishman, just take a week off and just get ready to watch that. <laughs> but what's a better act too, though, Joker or Jojo? Ooh, um, between those two, uh, Jojo. I was much more. Nice. I was more emotionally invested in Jojo, and maybe it's just because Joker's such a downer. I mean, it is it is realistic. I mean, yeah, it is bit. it is a realistic depiction oh. of a madman, but it is it is just downer the whole time. It, it, as as 
well executed as so much is. It still feels like a downer. So JoJo gave me gave me stuff to think about. It challenged me. Uh, there uh, there are uplifting moments. There are sad moments. It I felt I was on much more of an emotional journey with JoJo than I was with Joker. Thank God for that. Thank God for <laughs> Imagine he comes on here. I really related to Joker in a lot of heartwarming ways. Yeah, click, <laughs> take him up, get him up. No, uh, all right. So we got to wrap things up. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, right. We're looking for three more answers from you. Sure. One, who's your best original screenplay out of the nominees? Two, who's your best adapted? And then three, what is a snub for you? Do you have a couple? Do you have, uh, I mean, in both these categories, who are your screenplay snubs on the year? Sure. Uh, original screenplay, oh, that is that is a tough one because uh, 17, Once Upon a Time, and, um, you know, Knives Out, they all really do it for me. But you, you, you challenged me to pick one, and I will, mm-hmm. so I will not be wishy-washy. Nice. Uh, so I'm, uh, original screenplay... I'm gonna go knives out with original screenplay, and it's it. Wow. You know, you ask me tomorrow, I may say once upon a time, but you're asking you're asking me today, and for original screenplay, I'm gonna go with knives out because it was just uh, it it was everything about it. There's no historic backdrop. It's inspired by you know tried and true you know murder mysteries over the years, but it, it feels wholly original. And um, and so that's why I'm going to go with it because of uh, the the thought and expression and how rewatchable that will be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I but I, I still I like those others. Um, but you wanted me to pick one, and so that's uh, right now. Have to force. That's the one I'm going to pick. And Little Women gets your adapted screenplay. We're guessing so. What are the snubs on the years? What are your favorite screenplays that didn't get nommed? Oh sure, um, uh, Ready or Not just nice oh so good every every everything about it i showed it to my sister over christmas and and she loved it and it's uh i i've, I've seen it now it was twice in theaters and the the one time over christmas with my sister so i i've seen it three times i loved it every time i laugh so much uh and it's and it because the, the laughs aren't gag based these laughs are derived <laughs> from the conflict between the characters that that's what makes a, a, a laugh point. That's go, that's going to last. Uh, another one, long shot. Uh, maybe it just came out at the mm-hmm. wrong time of year. Great writing. It's it's a fantastic script uh, with a long shot. Uh, Midsummer uh, is a is another snub, and uh, Richard Jewell. Uh, those are all um, some of the snubs. And there, you know, uh, I guess those are all uh, the uh, original, original ones. Original snubs. Are, uh, but those are original snubs. Uh, any uh, ad- uh, adapted snubs? Uh, I would say Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Because how? I mean. To take an article and to make an entire film out of it is remarkable. Because you've got, I don't know how long the article was, I would say 2,500 words, I don't know. But you're, you're taking these 2,500 words and you, you've now made a you know, two-hour film. I, I think you know, that was uh, an out, uh, outstanding achievement in adaptation. Uh, Dr. Sleep, because it literally did the impossible. It bridged... <laughs> The cinematic world of The Shining that Stephen King hates uh, with the book Dr. Sleep, which came out in 2011, 2012, I think. And so it, it was he did the impossible. And I, I'm like, why is that not being recognized? You know, it, it is 
you know, maybe it lacks the panache that a Oscars film typically does, but there's no denying that that he did what nobody else even dared to do, and he did it in spades. And then another uh, ad uh, adapted one for me is Judy. So those are a handful of snubs, and um, it, they're still good. What what I what I like to remind people about uh, when talking about award season is. Uh, think of all the movies that we talk about today, which find their way into the zeitgeist, into our <laughs> discussions, into our classrooms. I, I would venture to say that the majority of these films that we are still talking about do not did not go home with Little Golden Men. I mean, you know, Wes Craven never got a Little Golden Man. Hitchcock never got a Little Golden Man. Carpenter, uh, maybe, I don't even think for score, um, he ever got a Little Golden Man. Like, you know, they, they, they've, they've not, and we are still talking about, uh, their films. And so, uh, sure. I love the achievement. It, it should be recognized. And, uh, you know, it's great when you can, uh, you know, take that statue home with you. Uh, but I, I do remind people, you know, it's, you know, that doesn't mean that your film will stand the test of time. You know, that is a mark of achievement and should be recognized as such. But you never know when perhaps some of these snubs are the ones that we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, 10 or 20 years from now. And so only, uh, you know, Hopefully. only time will tell. I think you make a fantastic point there to end on. And I think I, I, I also would love to wonder in like 15 years how Dr. Sleep is going to be remembered. If it becomes a cult classic or gets a second life on secondary uh, DVD, physical media market, VOD market. Because I, I, I agree with you. I think it was an impossible task. But I think you made a, a boatload of fantastic and interesting <laughs> points from a screenwriter's perspective. And that's why we had you on. And we cannot thank you enough for doing this with us, Right? Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I hope like you do, like we all do here, all three of us, that Little Women is ending up holding the trophy. And it does something that does get remembered, even though yes. it does win. Come on. Oscar Sunday. <laughs> exactly. Ryan. Thank you very much for having me, you guys, and I look forward to continuing our conversations on Twitter. And it's it's always a pleasure to sit down with you. And I uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your show. I'll see you on the other side. All right, Mike. Uh, all right, Mike. <laughs> <I'm> always... <laughs> Leave it in. Leave it in. No, I'm so used to calling somebody Mike. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, right. Thank Ryan you very much, Terry. man. We really appreciate it. Our thanks to Ryan L. Terry, one of our good buddies. Always a fun time talking to him. Always adding some some of that good professorial insight. Uh, I'd love to sit through one of his classes and just like take an audit of one of his classes. But I would also, I'm immature enough where I would just make funny faces at him the whole time and try to ruin it because I'm selfish. <laughs> I think, I'm working through some things here, I think, mentally. <laughs> I think we should dress up as our cartoon selves and just go to one of his classes. Yeah, no, that's a good road trip. Good road trip idea. All right, so let's get into it now. The traditional category review re review uh, that we have here for Mike, Mike, and Oscar for the two separate screenplay categories. We're going to start with original screenplay, Michael. Let's go over some snubs who missed the category. So I got three, you got three, then we joined together hand in hand for... It's a great song by The Who. A seventh uh, snub. So The Lighthouse is a big snub for me. I love that screenplay, A24. Oh my God, I got three A24 movies. <laughs> And you, you have two. Look at this. They had a hell of a hell of a year. Hell, they had a hell of a couple of years, actually. For original content, too. Original properties. Good for that. I just saw on Instagram the other day, Elsie uh, Fisher hanging out with, uh, this is good to bring up a story that I'm not prepared to tell, hanging out with uh, with Florence Pugh. Yeah. 
with uh, a couple of the girls from Little Women with Aquafina, and she was saying it was in an A24 party, and I just kept thinking, all of you need to work together in one A24 movie. That would be fantastic. So that was like Elsie Fisher's, you know, shadow day in the ninth grade? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Getting a taste of the uh, the high school level. But in real life, right. I mean, that's phenomenal. I, lo- I loved eighth grade. We both did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One at the WGAs last year. Yes, sir. The Farewell is my second A24 movie. I believe it's Farewell, right? The A24? I think so, without doing research. Let's just speak confidently enough and and just hope nobody questions or corrects us. Waves is the next one, which I also think is A24. I have not seen Waves, and it's a black mark on my resume this year. I have to get to it. I'm waiting for it to come out in VOD now just because it's nowhere to be found. But I I still, my heart is sour for the way Sterling K. Brown was never seriously considered this year. And why? He's so good. He's just so good in everything. And he's also, you know, been putting up Emmy-worthy performances. That should be the dues that have already been paid. He's the best. We're talking about original screenplay, Mike. Your three (laughs) initial snubs. I've said us for since us came out this past Valentine's Day in February. I don't think you're going to get many more screenplays that are as high concept and as original. I know it was polarizing. I know it had its detractors, but I still stand by it and stand for Jordan Peele, obviously. Uncut Gems. Boy, did that feel like home to me. (laughs) (laughs) I I really liked, I, I really did enjoy the screenplay. I'm probably higher on it personally than the grade merits yeah i, I understand it's probably a, a, a lower b solid b type grade but i think the screenplay really does its job i like i would have liked to see adam sandler get breakthrough and break that glass ceiling and have a yeah. adam sandler oscars nom i know we're doing screenplay and we're going off on all these tangents but that's still not something i can wrap my head around thinking about billy madison and happy gilmore he's that. been knocking on the door in yeah. recent years and the safty brothers really made a name for themselves uh this year with uncut gems yeah the only other one who's staying in the horror realm if you want to consider Uncut Gems of Horror. Some people do, like yes. my co-host there. Yes. <laughs> um, Midsummer had a lot of big fans. Florence Pugh, huge 2019. Ari Aster, I guess that's probably just the dues thing because it's only his second movie, his second feature-length movie, and he's going to be pulling out all kinds of stuff for the future to come. I can't wait to see what he does next. Him and, him and Jordan Peele and... Jennifer Kent and horror is in good hands right now. It is, and we love that uh, Midsommar script. Absolutely, uh, we we also love the script for Booksmart, and that's our yes. number one snub. Ah. We both predicted that it would get into the five. We're very upset about this. Still, right? It had its blueprint to get there. It gets in the WGA original screenplay nominees. It gets in the BAFTA original screenplay nominees. We're going to talk about why it was in one of those places and maybe what was going to be fourth or fifth into that category when the time comes because another movie obviously wasn't eligible. But nonetheless, we were high on it. We predicted, like you say, heartbroken to see it not come through here and be an original screenplay nominee for the Academy. All right, we're ready to get into this. We're going over original screenplay, the five nominees, why they will win, why they will not. 1917 is our first one. Mike, why will 1917 win this thing? Because of the Oscars puzzle theory, Mm -hmm. and this is something we just pitched during our 1917 Oscar sprint profile. I think you and I have kind of the same idea here. If this is going to be a runaway, to tell you the truth, we're recording this on Sunday morning. The PGAs just happened last night in real time. The SAG Awards haven't happened yet. 1917, not a nominee for SAG Ensemble, but it did win the top prize at the Producers Guild Awards. So it is clearly the front runner for Best Picture. And if this is going to be one of those Best Picture runaway type deals, the Oscar Puzzle theory that we've talked about a lot lately in these episodes dictates that it's going to have to win some surprise pickups along the way. This and hair and makeup, or makeup and hairstyling, I'm sorry, should be the two categories to me that they don't really have any business winning, that if they do win, I think it's over. 
Yeah, this this the night is uh, going to belong to 1917. Yeah. If that happens, look, we just reviewed this uh, screenplay and we had a lot of praise for it. Mm-hmm. The script is far better than I ever thought possible. You also can't argue with the themes of this story of the movie. It's they're really solid. They're timeless. They're something you, everybody can get behind, and that's typical of a Best Picture winner. That's yeah. typical uh, of an Oscar winner here too. I mean, last year racism is bad. Uh, the year before yeah. that, Man and Fish should be happier together i mean we've seen this Hard before disagree about that concept we've seen this yes. before <laughs> uh and it's you know it's not a <laughs> difficult story it's easy to follow but it's it's a simple premise done masterfully right yeah. I mean, it's a race against time movie that is essentially what 1917 the entire movie is so uh, you know it, it's done by a master it's done in a wonderful way it's done almost to perfection and it gets the most out of that simple storytelling concept so there you go mike let's talk about why 1917 will go home hardware less in the original screenplay category coming fe- february 9th there are some plot holes and i can just talk about the premise here but if you have planes and you have uh, a race against time, mm. probably best to use the planes. <laughs> you can't get over that, huh? Especially when the territory <laughs> is yours. The territory is theirs, and they're fighting off German planes anyway. One of them could drop, drop a sack of letters or a letter <laughs> to the high command. You don't need to send poor George McKay and Tom and Baratheon over there. Uh, I don't know either of those men. Uh, you need to speak in simpler George terms McKay's for me. George McKay's the actor. You yeah, I do not. You're right. You're right. I, my joke fell. You're right. Good job. Okay. Worst scene. <laughs> <laughs> in this movie bothered me though uh i didn't i play off like they bothered me as much as they did but i was trying to talk myself into this last night when i was preparing it so they do bother me uh, even still the power of the subject matter just speaks for itself though right it does but it's still you talk about defending your home turf in a war sense how about defending your home turf in an award sense mm. This thing has a hole in its resume, and it's pretty glaring, and I can't get past it. If this is a slam-dunk BAFTA winner, if this is an easy, hardcore, best-picture threat like it seems to be after winning the PGA and the Golden Globe, True. why isn't it nominated on its home turf in the BAFTA's original screenplay category? If it's up for Best British Film and Best Film at the BAFTAs, that is ju- there's something wrong with Booksmart being in the original screenplay category and not 1917 at the BAFTAs for me. Uh, just a couple stats quick. Since 19- 1999, that 99 BAFTA show, only one film has ever won original screenplay at the Oscars and not been nominated in the category at the BAFTAs. That was Spike Jones's Her back in 2013-14. And even if you add the mayhem of the original screenplay category jumping around with number of noms at the BAFTAs pre-1999, they went from four to five, back to four for a while, and then finally finished at five where it is now since 99 to present. It is a very weird number, I agree. But if you go include the entire BAFTA's history here. Such an instance of a film winning the Oscars category for original screenplay without making nomination at the BAFTA's has only occurred four times total in the 36 years original screenplay has been handed out on the British awards stage. So to be fair... Each of those four times, those winners or those winners, Oscar winners who weren't nominated at the BAFTAs were buoyed by having a WGA nomination to their name, like 1917 does. But 1917 does, maybe, because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is the, the category favorite, was ineligible. And we know either 1917 or Booksmart was probably that fifth name in to the WGAs, right? Probably. Yeah, probably. I said probably. <laughs> you can get away with it. Agree. So next week we got the WGAs happening. If 1917 does not win that award, are we reading into that at all and saying that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's probably going to win the award regardless? 
and then I that would helps. I think so, right? But, but does that help Best Picture? Because it all comes back to Best Picture. I think we're, we're making a, a, a tie-in in almost every episode now towards that monster yeah. race. Well, by by the time people are listening to this, I think the biggest indicator of Best Picture is, is going to fall. I think if Hollywood doesn't win the SAG tonight, which will have already been done by the time this episode comes out, right. could be in trouble. It may not even be the second in the power ranking at this point. 1917, no matter what happens with the SAG, 1917 is clearly the front runner. Clearly the front runner at the moment in terms of your back in time listening. Exactly. Hop into the DeLorean, people. Mike, let's move on to Knives Out. Why is Knives Out going to shock the world and win? The craft on display here is just next level. Ryan Johnson revived an entire genre with the success of this particular film. Yes, Murder on the, Murder on the Orient Express did well last year, but it wasn't this make you know six times your budget at the box office kind of uh, profits. So we're going to get a holiday whodunit for the foreseeable oh, future. Music to my ears. Because this story was just that good. It enraptured fans around the country, around the world. And that's because, not, I mean, he wrote the hell out of this thing. Yeah, I echo again what you're saying here as to why they'll win. It, he, he pleased everyone. It was universally pleasing. I'm happy to see it nominated, period, because I kept saying, if everybody's that high on this movie, why wouldn't it get nominated for original screenplay? And we know not to live in die by the tomato meter but just as an example of how beloved this property was other than parasite knives out is the highest scoring movie in either screenplay category if you combined its audience and critic scores together meaning it holds a higher such score over seven films that are dominated for best picture within these two categories it is beloved critics audiences love it etc etc and look (laughs) if nothing else Shouldn't we all really be rooting for Ryan Johnson to have an Oscar, a live microphone, a national broadcast, and three full minutes to get anything off his chest that's been weighing on him for like, oh, I don't know, the last three years or so? My uh, Ryan Johnson uh, tattoo uh, in a Jedi outfit (laughs) says yes. I agree. He's a great writer, man. He's been a great writer his entire career. This is long overdue for him. However... We got to talk about why Knives Out will not win, Michael. Because the world is a sad, angry place, and it's <laughs> probably at best Knives Out right now, third place at best in this category. And mm-hmm. even if it's in its run up through award season here, through all the precursors, it finished with more best ensemble wins than it did original screenplay wins. And we don't deserve to have nice things like a Knives Out being an Oscar winner or Ryan Johnson having a completely free, uninterrupted time on a live mic to air out his grievances. He needs that. I want that. Probably not going to get it here. Look, the tricks of this screenplay could be a bit of a letdown to some people. And I, what I mean by that is Ryan Johnson loves to subvert the form, mm. subvert the genre. This is a bit of a balancing act where he does some of that for sure, but he also kind of upholds some principles. And he's very tricky in how he does it. So this was not what I expected. And I do think some fans who just want genre goods delivered or franchise goods delivered, as we've seen from his uh, Last Jedi Backlash, throughout uh, his last few years if, if you're going in with that mindset maybe you're not as open to the subversion and this movie fooled me but he fought a little dirty in defeating my brain <laughs> i think that's well, yeah that's, I think that's, that's kind of a hallmark honest. of a ryan johnson script too we're yeah. coming to learn as well again probably not going to happen as much as we would love to see it but uh, it's sad. It's weird, Mike, because if it wins, it's going to win because it's the best version of this genre in a long damn time. Yeah. And if it loses, people are probably going to say, well, that genre never wins. <laughs> 
We did the Oscars win profile breakdown with our buddy John Gabris there. Go back and check that out. Let's move on to Marriage Story, Michael. Why is Marriage Story going to win the original screenplay category? The depth <laughs> and the power of these scenes. How they build up to the big explosions and fit all together in those climaxes. This is next level, Michael. This is gif and meme worthy, Michael. Marriage Story reminds me of a Mike Nichols movie. Uh, it's absolutely devastating how some of these arguments build up. And then the fact that he brings you through these catharses. Catharses? That works. He brings you through the catharsis, and then he's still making you laugh and cry and, you know, dance to the Sondheim music. <laughs> It's truly a terrific film, and I know it has its issues, but uh, I'm so impressed with the highs of this movie. Yeah, no film may have been more reliant on the heavy lifting its screenplay had to do in all of 2019 than Marriage Story, because that movie is basically a two-person Broadway play brought to life on the small, big screen uh, and became far more cinematic than a movie with that source material or subject matter should really have any right to do. Yeah. And it's all thanks to its written words, so it's worthy of being here and in this category and having a chance to win. To win original screenplay as well, you need to win at least one of the Globes, the WGAs, or the BAFTAs. And the good news from Bombback and Marriage Story, which has already seen defeat at the Golden Globes to the hands of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is you can win the Oscar even only winning one of those three. Right. Most recently, Green Book, just last year, won original screenplay, only won the Golden Globe in the lead-up. Milk. 2008 won the original screenplay Oscar, only one at the WGAs. Talk to her won the Oscar, only one at the BAFTAs in 2003. Love some of those scripts, my God. And this could take the mantle of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with the WGAs. Mm -hmm. You got a lot of New York love for this movie yep. from the Gothams throughout the critic circles. It, it might may have a chance there. It probably needs it there. I don't know if it'll get it at the BAFTAs. Mike, why will Marriage Story not win this thing? Though? Because every other year in between those specific examples I just cited, <laughs> the original screenplay Oscar trophy went to a film which had won at least two of the major precursors. <laughs> and you'll notice I also haven't yet made mention of the Critics' Choice Awards. That's because there's other examples of movies winning only one of those three major precursors that I have mentioned, but to go along with that win on their way to Oscars gold, they also did pick up a Critics' Choice Award you know, such as the King's Speech did yeah. in 2010, where it won the original screenplay at the BAFTAs and the Critics' Choice, or Get Out in 2017, it won the WGAs and the Critics' Choice, or, you know, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this year, which has already won the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice. I was surprised that Hollywood won the Critics' Choice in particular. I was too. Like, the Globe made some sense, because right. they've awarded him there before. Critics' Choice, you would think that's a, a influenced by, you know, the coastal bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And New York is one huge half of that so I, I i would have thought it had more momentum there it did not come through and I, that hurt it i think it i was story. surprised equally like you were for those reasons yeah but i think overall i agreed with your problems uh regarding the film uh to what i could understand of them when we uh recorded that addendum to our movie review after you regained consciousness from your <laughs> sickness so i do think Bombback, you know he had to take some shortcuts some liberties some consolidatory provisions on the real life story basically some artistic license yeah. and I wonder if a world of attorneys there's just way too many of you out there you, agree you, you scare me there's too many it's causing problems no offense it's oversaturated the world of attorneys out there and the world of people who have you know 
been through divorces, I wonder if they will appreciate the artistic license or if they're going to call BS on it. And you got to figure there's got to be a decent number of attorneys that are Academy members, no? Right. And then yeah. there's probably a lot of people who are divorced yeah. in anybody uh, of true there people. Too. It yeah. happens a lot. That's why we're so phobic <laughs> of marriage in general or commitment in general. Any of those words. They're yeah. just genuinely terrifying. It's going to be Jordan Peele's next screenplay. <laughs> commitment. I got, I got uh, goosebumps on the back of my neck right now. It's not feeling good. All right, Parasite, Michael. Tell me why it's going to do the upset. Okay, I do not share your concerns with this movie. I don't know how much we're going to get into this with Ryan. We're recording this before we actually sit down with Ryan, FYI. So I don't know if we're going to have that debate out. Again, you and I have gone 15 rounds on it. Mm -hmm. We've done it more off Mike than we've done on Mike, but I still think listening to our review, we got things down. So I'm not going to relitigate it to here. Suffice it to stay, say that I do think this is a tier one film. Right. I do think this is a tier one screenplay, and I think just I think we can agree on this point. People out there agree with me yeah. more than you know. Yeah, they, they agree do. With no, you. absolutely. I'm in the minority. I've said that all along. I, I, I get that. You're all wrong. It's fine. <laughs> so prognosticating, <laughs> to use another big word here, because I'm trying to make points and sound smart, <laughs> except I can't How's pronounce How's that going it. for you? <laughs> Darn it! Look, I, I think people love this movie, and they want to award it somewhere. Best International Film is happening. They want to award it more. Maybe Sam Mendes just created such a technical achievement that he's going to win the director's uh, Oscar. So this would be where you get the last-second upset over Tarantino. Yeah, and for those reasons that you just said, we know it does have its favorites, and it's got its favorites all over the Academy in various different branches. It has more surprising screenplay wins on its resume than the average person may think during the run-up of this award season. It's got wins for best screenplay or best original screenplay for 20 precursor groups. These are wins, yes. including the African American Film Critics Association, the Alliance of Women Film Critics, Film Journalists, excuse me, the Online Film Critics Society, New York Film Critics Online, and the National Society of Film Critics Awards. It's one best screenplay or best original screenplay at all of those, and that's a, a wide swath of a diverse groups of people. So you're right. It's the majority of people that encounter this film are very high on it, and they probably do want to reward it. Also, I, the majority of people we talk to are probably film critics. Well, yeah, sure, but I, you know, you all you have to do is look at these interviews and watch these award sure. shows and how, see how people just lavish a praise onto this movie. So it wouldn't shock me, but Mike, this is going to be a difficult exercise for you. Why is Parasite not going to win? Well, I just respect your views. I genuinely respect your views. And if you had the issues with it that you do, I could concede that others could as well. And I do think others could recoil from the characterization in Act 2 and Act 3 like you and Ryan have. And I do think that people could look at this film, because I look at this film as as not an A movie, as an A- minus movie. I still think that's top tier for this year. Mm -hmm. But it is an A-minus movie. I don't think it's the best of the decade masterpiece. And, and that's something I talked about in our review. I've seen this movie four times, so I'm not just, you know, off of one viewing. Saying that, I do think it got overhyped a little bit, and I don't think that's a bad thing. And I don't think uh, we should be lamenting that fact. This is a real cool movie. And I think when we revisit this years from now, we're going to say... This is awesome. This paved the way for international films, yeah, gaining more credit in terms of, uh, of the American Academy's vantage point and, and being able to give them more nominations, more wins uh, at our award show because we're more open-minded to great movies out there. And this is one of the better international films in a while. It's one of the, my favorite auteurs 
who've come along in a while. I've been watching his stuff since the late 90s, early 2000s. I love Bong Joon-ho. I'm glad for his success in this one. But... I was going to say, this is why it's not going to win, and you managed to talk to turn this into you just, just taping more praise onto this movie and wanting it to shine more. I'm getting angry. But... <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's probably going to win this thing because it's going to lose Best Picture. Can I be be more of a oh, God. half positive, just, half negative just there? get out. Mike, why is it going to lose? I had a tough time coming up with reasons why this would lose, so that probably says something about what I think and what the tea leaves suggest right now is maybe number two in this category. Um, mm-hmm. Its strength is also, in a weird way, its weakness is kind of what I've come up with because... <laughs> It, it's like Marriage Story. It really needs to win either WGAs or BAFTAs. It needs a big original screenplay win in order to have its name called an Academy Sunday, I yeah. think. And you, WGAs is a big night for Parasite, for Marriage Story. Uh, if one of those come away, then yeah, we have a legitimate two-horse race in this, I think. Uh, otherwise, I don't see how Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, especially if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to fall victim to the, well, I'm not going to vote it for Best Picture at number one, so I'll vote, make sure to vote Original Screenplay as my number one mm-hmm. in that situation, like you just kind of hinted at. Uh, Hollywood may be in the pole position. It may be tough to unseat it, but Parasite, I, I, I understand. It's got its fans, and it's, it's tough to find any weaknesses as far as its, campaigns go, its campaign goes, I should say, yeah. if I could speak properly. Shout out to uh, Neon, everybody involved. They yeah. did an awesome job this year. we got to move on to Once Upon upon a time in Hollywood. Mike, why is Hollywood going to win this thing? Because everyone's predicting it and expecting it right now, and we know, like we just said, it's not eligible for the WGAs. Quentin Tarantino isn't a Writers Guild member, never has been, so his screenplays are not eligible to be nominated at their award show, but in the history of the Critics' Choice Awards, so the last 25 years, which is the shortest of the four main precursors, the WGAs, Critics' Choice, Golden Globes, and BAFTAs, a film has won two of the four major precursors for screenplay or original screen play and not won the Oscar for original screenplay only four times and only one of those four occasions did the eventual Oscar winner actually have fewer major precursor wins than the losing film right, so this is so confusing yeah so basically I'll, I'll put this in simpler terms once upon a time in Hollywood already has two major precursor wins under its belt right, right. Critics choice and Golden Globes I'm with you I count one I count two only one time in the original screenplay categories history of yes. the last 25 years has a film won less major precursors of the four and beaten a film that has more major precursor wins than it. So every time, in other words, it's usually been a film with two major precursor wins beats a film with two major precursor wins. And uh, Three Billboards won the Golden Globe and the BAFTA in 2017. It lost to Get Out, which won the Critics' Choice of the WGA. Only in 2008... Did Slumdog Millionaire had the Critics' Choice in Golden Globe, but ended up losing to Milk, which only had the WGA as a precursor. Gotcha. So if you have a lesser amount of precursors, usually you don't win. You have to at least tie for the most wins amongst four major precursors in order to win the Oscar. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood right now, at worst, is going to tie any other film. It's got two precursors already under its belt for this category. That finally makes sense. You always have one of these humdingers <laughs> in here that confuses the shit out of me, and I have to like play it back four times. Well, yeah, look, that's a it's a it's a complicated stat, but mm-hmm. I can make it even simpler. If Tarantino wins the BAFTA for screenplay, this He's race winning. is over. It's probably over right now, yeah. based on uh, you know the odds of another film winning both. It would probably have to be Parasite. I would say I WGA would. I would. BAFTA. Yeah, probably. I agree. 
Look, I do think, in talking about the merits of this screenplay, it tugs on your heartstrings. It's one of the best buddy movies of all time. There's one great scene after the next, celebrating Hollywood history. I think this is a great movie about making movies, and it's a great movie about Hollywood folk, because it's about Hollywood, and it's about the movie industry. I mean, it's simple. They love that, yeah. They do love that, and I think screenwriters, and I think craftspeople are going to go gaga over that, but for here, this branch should enjoy that it's also a satire on our history, and that's a whole nother level. It's a whole nother layer uh, for this movie. The fact that Tarantino has played with history in the past. What is he doing with this movie? So, to me, that leaves this as an unforgettable screenplay, an unforgettable story. So just on the merits of the thing, I mean, obviously we've become obsessed with it recently. Yeah. You know, we, we, we're not just coming off of one viewing of this thing. We studied the hell out of it. We gave two reviews of it yeah. after a full rewatch series, the Tarantino rewatch series. We're biased. Go back and listen to that. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen this movie six times now, right. and I've fallen in love with it. And I think that's, you know, in large part because of Tarantino's writing of this. And thing. he's playing nice with it. I mean, this is the nicest yes. Tarantino has played to play a, a large voting body. So, all right, let's talk about the favorite falling here. Why will Once Upon a Time in Hollywood not win the original screenplay category, Michael? On first watch, the script was a little bloated for me. I was sighing. I was like, just come on, give me something more. Give me something else. It took me a rewatch to start that love affair with this story, with this script. Obviously, having seen it as many times as we have, you know, we really love it now. And we really just relish in all the details now. But I do think people could, you know, watch this movie just once, read the screenplay just once. And because Tarantino is such an expert at at suspense in his recent films, he's such an expert at surprising you. There's definitely some letdown moments, and I think he does that purposefully. He's definitely trolling us as an audience at times Mm -hmm. in terms of the film, the finished product. (laughs) And he's certainly antagonizing us as an audience. And I again, I think it's deliberate, but he does take some liberties and it is at the at the end of some bloated scenes where he's playing some of these dirty tricks on us. I love it in retrospect. Right. But at the time, it could rub people the wrong way, yeah. and that could, you know, be a detriment. Yeah, our Academy voter is going to be willing to have a nose thumbed at them for three hours on film. It's an interesting question. Yeah, it's a little bit, <laughs> little bit with, uh, with a big toe, perhaps. Yeah. I, I, I have, you know, the, the reasons it'll lose, I have pick your choice, spin the wheel. I mean, because 1917 is of high enough quality to have played the late release date game perfectly. Yes. Because Parasite has its fans in enough different branches of the Academy that could pull off the upset because Marriage Story was the default leader of this category up until late summer, it seemed. Because people want to give Ryan Johnson a live microphone, goddammit. <laughs> I want to hear him talk openly about Star Wars. When you say people. <laughs> me. <laughs> me. 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 That's the original screenplay rundown. We're going to save both re-rankings, or the rankings of these nominations, as we see them for the end of the show. Let's pivot and talk about adapted screenplay, Mike. Let's start talking about some snubs. Avengers Endgame. We yeah. both love this screenplay. They took 22 films, yeah. culminated it in the, one of the most perfect celebrations Stinks. of... A franchise ever. It's how it's not nominated here is very aggravating. It's not me. the last time you're going to hear its name come up in these conversations. Uh, we also have Loose. Both of us were huge fans of that movie. Yeah. I, I'm kind of. I, Octavia Spencer deserved more recognition. Kelvin Harrison deserved more yes. recognition. The screenplay deserved Naomi more Watts. recognition. Naomi Watts. Yeah. And that was an awesome movie. It was a real think piece. Mm-hmm. I, I love movies like that. I want to revisit it. Toy Story 4. Yeah. We love this screenplay. I'm tired of people taking dumps on this movie. Why? It was great. 
Did it you was, not watch it? It was like a horror movie and an adventure <laughs> and, oh, my God, the emotions at the end. I, I loved it, too. Hustlers was another one, Michael. Yes, it was. It deserved it. It deserves at least a show up. It deserved one nomination on the night. Uh, probably was worthy of two here, but Jennifer Lopez obviously deserved to be nominated in the, uh, the supporting actress category. She got snubbed. I would have been fine if the screenplay made it through. Hopefully, Lorene Scafaria at least merits more recognition now. She made a name for herself this year in particular with that film. I, I mean, it's montage heavy, so I wonder how much credit you can give I to think the it's screenplay. the subject matter. I, I think it's the yeah. subject matter, like we've talked about, that kept it out, unfortunately. Frustrating. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood's another uh, adapted screenplay. They took a magazine article, Mike, and they made this fully flushed out feature film that really tugged on our hearts. It's the only WGA nominee that's not here in the yeah. Academy Sunday nominations. The only other film we have to talk about. It's kind of a favorite for us, Spider-Man Far From Home. That was so cool. Come it, on. It's it, it makes you think, and it touches on culturally and socially relevant themes that not a lot of superhero movies, I know superhero movies always are supposed to be about social relevance and all that, but this one really had like fake news stuff in it and the impact of it. I love the screenplay even more than I love the movie, probably. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was I a huge fan of it, the, the audacity of pulling that off. I thought it was one of Marvel's better screenplays. All right, let's talk about the five nominees that are here going in alphabetical order. The adapt the screenplay category, Michael. Why will Jojo Rabbit win the adapted screenplay Oscar? Because I'm giving a lot of book reports today, and this book report, <laughs> Caging Skies, felt like the John Fowles book, The Collector, which is also a movie with Terrence Stamp. It is a creepy film where Terrence Stamp kidnaps this woman and holds her hostage. That was Caging Skies, the book. Oh, God. Jojo was 17 when that book started. Taika Waititi took that depressing, gross, sexual nightmare of a novel about World War II and the Gestapo oh, and this German family dealing with a nightmare, a waking nightmare of living in this war-torn uh, city. And he turns that into a hilarious Wes Anderson, one heartwarming scene after another kind of coming of age story. For all of your reasoning there was about the degree of difficulty, which I had written down too. And I'd like to just highlight and shout out my co-host here who did at least listen to all of the original source materials for these adaptations. You so dared me. He knows what he's talking about. I didn't. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to talk about other things to keep fill that airtime. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, Sneaky, has the strongest resume of any film this year amongst all the branches alongside the Irish. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be remembered as one of the top three nomination nabbers amongst this year's field nomination of the 2019. Nabbers. Yeah, you like that? Print the t-shirt. <laughs> of the 2019-2020 award season. But it's in part because of that reason that Academy members who care about such things are going to like what they see from this film and probably want to reward it with something at the end of the night on Academy Sunday. If you exclude the BAFTA's best picture where, you know, there may be some underlying motivation by a British voting body to not highlight a Nazi film as one of the best five movies of the year anyway... <laughs> Uh, only two films carry noms in every single top prize of the major precursors and then some. I'll put it another way. Jojo Rabbit is one of two films to land nomination or recognition in each of the National Board of Review Top 10, the AFI Top 10, Golden Globes Best Picture, Critics' Choice Best Picture, Producers Guild Best Picture, SAG Ensemble, Directors Guild Best Director, the Ace Eddie Top Prize, and the WGA Adapted Screenplay Field. Wow. Yeah, and that's a great resume, and you're you're absolutely right. I mean, this movie, when it's seen, I think it gets a lot of high rankings in this preferential balloted award show for the most part, and in those many of those best picture categories. Uh, I do think that when people actually watch this movie, you're going to be won over by the heartwarming scenes of it. Michael, 
We got to get into why Jojo Rabbit will not win, though. Even though I do think it could win. It could surprise on the day. Why is it going to lose? Because that other film with all those precursors is The Irishman. And as The Irishman fades from being a threat for Best Picture, I think we may be looking at a situation where its odds for landing adapted screenplay increase, kind of like what you just pitched about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the original screenplay category. And unlike Jojo, the one glaring hole on Jojo's resume, The Irishman did land a BAFTA Best Picture nom, so if BAFTA's having that huge crossover with the Academy, we know everybody loves Scorsese, everybody loves The Irishman, despite its VFX stuff. Right. Uh, it's probably ahead of JoJo, I would think, in this category, but it hasn't won anything major yet, so who knows? I agree with that. I do think it might surprise us at the end of the yeah. day, but it's unlikely for those reasons. I like that. I got to give the book report angle on this again. Look, the third act of Caging Skies has conflicts that are kind of introduced in the first act of Jojo Rabbit. And then you kind of have almost like a page 50 rewrite. So page 50 to page in the middle of the movie is very different. And both stories are very, very different. And I wonder if screenwriters are just saying, well, all right, he took the premise, then he ran with it. This is more original than it is adapted is what you're saying? The middle is basically an original story. And then the end of the movie kind of ties back into Caging Skies. So that was my, you know, takeaway from it. So I, I wonder if people actually read the thing they would feel that way. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I wonder how many of the Academy actually bother themselves to listen to audiobooks going from place to place, like you say. I mean, we know they don't watch all the nominees, so maybe they actually take in the adapted source material? Who knows? It's a good book. It's a really strong uh, novel, but it's totally different from what you got Mm, in in terms of the movie. I wonder what Christine Lunins thinks of this. Interesting. I'd be be fascinated to to learn that. Mike Joker... (laughs) Joker is in this category. Why is it going to win? Because as Bo Burnham so eloquently put in the beginning of his show, what, a couple years ago, (laughs) art is a lie and nothing is real. Uh, I I can't with this, man. Uh, Look, no, look, seriously, some comic book movie is going to have to break that glass ceiling in a major Oscars category, and Joker's already made history as the most nominated comic book movie of all time, the first comic book movie to lead the nomination field at the Oscars, the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, so what's one more historical accomplishment on its resume, right? Look, I do think this is a palatable comic book adaptation somehow. I don't know how, and that's why my answer is going to be very lame here. I don't think it's winning this award. If it does, it's definitely winning Best Picture, right? I saw you write that last night, and my first instinct was, no, not at all. And I thought about it for hours, literally hours, because it's just been on my mind. And I think there's something to that. And it's weird how it goes case by case, because we talk about how, with The Irishman, like I just alluded to, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you just talked about, those are fading from Best Picture contenders, so that might increase their chances in this category. With something like Joker, that hasn't really gotten that big win, but it's been nominated all throughout every card, I think there's merit there where it could be pushed up all the way on different categories as opposed to the other two that have been favorites and might be on the come down. So, yeah, I think I, I don't know that I'd put it as, as a slam dunk, but I think it would certainly help its chances, increase its chances on the night. But you're holding to our puzzle theory rather than the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conventional wisdom. I, I, don't, I know. don't think there is conventional wisdom with the Academy. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's a hot take. I didn't expect to find a hot take there. No conventional wisdom. 
in the academy was that, the right preposition. Yeah, I, I yeah. think I, I would stand by that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about maybe what we can have a little fun with. Why is Joker not going to win? To me, the script is far too much of a perfect storm. Now, I, I've rewatched this since we reviewed it a couple of times. Mike, I hated my rewatch. Really? I, I did not like it on rewatch. And I, it scared my dog. It scared your dog. <laughs> I actually liked it more upon rewatch. Right. I had less issues. I bumped it all the way up to a B plus. Wow. But my biggest issue with it is still the fact that it's too perfect of a storm, of an evil storm, of circumstances boiling over, where one ridiculously unlikely thing happens, and then another ridiculously unlikely thing happens, and this is the world in which Joker becomes Joker, because... I don't see that character being very coherent and articulate through most of the movie. He's really struggling. Yes, he's got a few, you know, moments of clarity where he actually can, you know, communicate with people, but the whole movie's about him being unable to communicate and connect with other people. And then he delivers the state the theme evil monologue at the end that just is so concise. To me that's melodrama. Wow. To that's, me, that's, that's melodrama with, with the way this movie ends. And I was trying to put my finger on it for months. If you can cite character assassination in Joker that's not obvious, why can't you believe me that it's in Parasite and it's glaring? No comment. No comment. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this now. Sorry. Not in the Joker section. We're about to go on with Ryan L. Terry right now at this point. In real time, you're hearing this, folks. So whatever happens going forward, you have to realize my co-host just provoked me before we go on the Parasite possible debate section of this recording. I regret nothing. <laughs> no, we've already had this out. We've had this out for 15 rounds. We've done it. And you, I mean, you are just belligerent not understanding what my takes were on Parasite. It's a bad movie. Ah! <laughs> It's not a bad movie. It's not a bad. You can't say it's a it's, bad. I, movie. I, I, that, I, no, I don't believe that. It's not a bad movie. Let's talk to Ryan. Like, put a pause in this. Uh, I could tell you why Joker's not going to win if you want. I thought you already did. No, I didn't go right, yet. Fine, go. Fine, if you have to. Fine, you talk now. Uh, look, for all intents and purposes, I knew we'd have fun in this section. <laughs> I didn't think it'd be about Parasite, but Joker is still a comic book movie adaptation, and those don't do well at the Oscars. I get the argument that eventually one is going to have to break through, but in the year in which Avengers Endgame did the impossible in creating a universally satisfying ending to a decade-spanning 20-plus film-ranging yeah. comic book property, a feat that was proven to be more impossible by the nature of this screenplay's very existence and how polarizing it is and how easily it is yeah. to, to screw up a comic book movie or a long-standing adaptation like this. Are we really going to award Joker in the year that the award, by our account, should be going to Marcus and McFeely for Endgame? So Marcus and McFeely made the best version of a typical comic book story, right? right? A typical comic yes. book trope, save the world kind of story. I, I, I stand by that. This is not a typical not comic book yeah, story. Right. Even for an evil origin story, mm -hmm. it's not a typical story. It's basically 1970s Scorsese right. movie. With it, face paint. I mean, it's a serial killer origin. Yeah. I mean, you can listen to the last podcast on the left. You can go on Netflix and go to The Killer Inside. Yep. You know, I just watched the Aaron Hernandez thing last night, and you could basically see this story playing out with, with a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. And it's not a comic book It's not. Movie, really. 
But it, it is. is still. But it yeah, is. Yeah, I, like I agree with everything uh, you're saying. And I think comic book movies should be all of all genres. Right. I don't want to disrespect comic book movies. No, no, no. We love them. No, we're we're saying the problem is more with the Academy than it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're not saying the problem is with the adaptation. I agree. I, yeah, I, I I agree with everything you're saying. All right, let's pivot to something that at one time was certainly the category front runner. Maybe it still is. Maybe it's Little Women. But let's talk about the Irishman, Michael. Why is the Irishman going to win Academy Gold? Might be the best act two of any movie in the last few years. I mean, it's a great act to Ryan. You will agree with me after you watch this. Look, I, I think from reading the the book, Zalian takes details from all over that thing, and he he puts him in scenes in this movie all over the movie. I don't know if it's a, it's a situation where it means things. <laughs> Or if he's just, you know, adding depth to the scenes by using all the details that are, it's an incredibly detailed book from all over the place and putting it and using it to enhance the scenes. So it's either a huge puzzle or it's a wonderful tapestry. I don't know the metaphor there. The, what I'm trying to get through is this is a complex adaptation. Certainly is. And Zellian seems to only do complex adaptations. He's the man... That has been behind the pen for Awakening, Searching for Bobby Fischer, Clear and Present Danger, Schindler's List, the first and incredibly complex and underrated Mission Impossible movie, the complex and ahead of its time Silence of the Lamb sequel, Hannibal, Gangs of New York, Moneyball, and the American version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movie. He's been doing these adaptations for what is now his fourth decade in 2020. Man's only got one Oscars win on his resume for all these great adapted screenplays, so I haven't used the legacy pick argument yet. I think it makes a lot of sense if you're going to talk about a legacy pick and having that be the tiebreaker for the voting and blah, 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 the politics of it all, to go to a, a film and a screenwriter that might be the leader in the clubhouse anyway. I could see that. Tarantino even bigged him up during his speech. You know, like, well, how that, I mean, I that's win? the other part. He's worked with so many A-list directors yeah. throughout Spielberg, Scorsese. He's worked with the best of the best. So Tarantino was like, how did I win over this guy? Yeah. So that's interesting to think about. I wonder if Tarantino was trying to neg the fact that he wants another Oscar. <laughs> I want something else. I don't want this one again. I'm tired of the screenplay Oscars. So. All right, so why will the Irishman not win this thing, Mike? Because outside of Marriage Story, there may not be a film that's been losing more momentum lately than this one. Yeah. Uh, does it have any major wins on its resume right now as a film? Well, the uh, Critics' Choice Ensemble Award was pretty big. Okay. Didn't win Best Picture there, though, right? No. It kind of needs the WGA win. Pretty badly. It needs SAG, I would say. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know at the time of this recording if it gets SAGs. But you guys know. I mean, can you <laughs> send us a message back in time? Yeah, I don't think that's asking too much of our listeners. Shiny? We talked about in Parasites why they'll win or why they'll lose. How they have twenty precursor wins for screenplay already in the original screenplay category. The Irishman, by comparison, only has nine wins in any screenplay category, adapted or regular screenplay. So it's a little foreboding. In terms of the actual adaptation, though, Mike, I, I think Act Three is a cop out. It's a major change from the ending of the book, mm. which I thought was a superior ending to that of the film. I think they just kind of gave you an ending from a previous gangster flick for this movie kind of deal. Mm. I didn't like that. They gave us the cliched ending that Scorsese's it's done an before. ending that's been done, yeah. I don't like that. And then Act 1 is goofy on screen because of the VFX, in my opinion, I think. I think that's inarguable. Obviously, the Academy does not with the VFX nom. So well, the nom could also have just been, my God, Scorsese's actually trying this. Good for Netflix for trying this, so let's just give them the cursory nom and VFX. You could tweeted been one out, of those. You tweeted out the link 
of the, the... I wonder if that catches fire. If that catches fire, that might change some votes. Mike, it was superior. Yeah. The new VFX done on somebody's home computer... With free software, they with said. free yeah. software. After a, after Netflix does $180 million into doing what yeah. we got on screen. You had a younger man's forehead. You had yeah. less of the double chin. You had less of the turkey neck. You had smaller ears. I'm watching this whole thing, and I, I'm here, I'm going on, on a rant on VFX, but... It was superior. It is VFX, but it also does tie into every category the Irishman's in, including adapted screenplay. Yeah. Because if that catches fire, and that becomes a meme unto itself, and like, look how much Netflix wasted money. This guy, that could be a problem for voters. It's hurting the movie. Yeah, I, I do think it's hurting the movie. But let's get into a movie that's only been helped by recent weeks. Uh, Little Women. Why is Little Women going to win this thing? Because it probably deserves to. Yeah. Because it's probably the best adaptation out of any of these five. Uh, I, I hate to make a plain merit-based argument, but there's no reason. And Ryan Alteri kind of said a lot of the stuff I was going to say about it anyway. But there's no reason a movie with this subject matter should be something I relate to more than pretty much any other film in 2019. Yeah. How, what's that say about me as a human being that the two films I relate to most are Little Women and Uncut Gems? It says a lot. It says <laughs> you're a starving, not-so-starving artist. It says you have a, you have an issue. I'm not well. No, you have an issue <laughs> that you have to deal with. Why is it going to win, Mike? Look, I've gushed over this movie a hundred times. I also co-sign a lot of things that Ryan said, so I'm not going to get into it, all of it right now. I do have an addition, though. I think... Uh, the meta dialogue with the publisher. The more I think about the Tracy Letts scenes, mm. the more Greta is winking at the audience. She's winking at diehard fans of the book because she recontextualizes the story events of this particular tale to for maximum dramatic effect on the screen. You have a chronological retelling in all of the books. You have a framed flat fra flashback or flashback. Either one. Flashback structure uh, with great screenwriting fundamentals on display throughout. But you have this framed structure harkening back, still going through the through line on the on the older Joe March story for this movie. And I don't know how she pulls it off, but she does. Yeah. It's just seamless. It's smooth. It's a great composition. And you have some electric, romantic, epic scenes yep. interspersed that just explode throughout this movie. I I'm so impressed. I, I look up to Greta Gerwig as a screenwriter she's after these last two films. I'm I, I just think she's one of the best going. Yeah, but that's also why, because she's so young and still a relative neophyte in the industry, the argument for her not winning, she's still young and a relative neophyte in the screenwriting, at least being a solo screenwriter yeah. for her. You know, it's the the old academy, prove your worth, you got to pay your dues type thing. I think it's ridiculous. I don't understand why we're not just rewarding the best of the year. But if anything's going to be held against somebody, I could see that being held against her for certain. So why is it going to lose, Mike? It could lose to The Irishman with a great act, too, from Steve Zalian with that resume, right? With that, that, I mean, it could be his time. And Greta's too young. She'll mm -hmm. have more times of her own. Jojo Rabbit is just a heartwarming movie. Joker's audacious, and people give it points for its ambitiousness there. So I think at the end of the day, Greta could lose to a worthy winner in another year. Yeah, it could be one of those tiebreaker situations where it's a legacy yeah. advantage. I think Greta's the best, though. But I agree. All right, somehow we got to talk about two popes right now. But, Mike, why is two popes going to win Because this old white guys love themselves some old white guys. Fuck. And we're a year away from proof that there's still enough of them in the Academy to not shy away from an opportunity to embrace the white savior narrative. And is there any more glorified white savior on this earth 
than the leader of the Catholic Church. Excuse me! <laughs> and don't think it happened to me! They get in the way! Look, that's cynical. I know that's highly cynical. This movie, uh, t- the screenplay of this movie, God bless the effort. Yeah. It doesn't match up. Now, does it put you in a bit of a trance? In making you like it more than you should, because where I, I had my biggest I problems, think the with acting this movie, does for me more okay. so than the screenplay. Because I had my biggest problems with the two popes. Thinking about it afterward, yeah. actually watching some of Spotlight, like Spotlight was just on TV, or Stars or whatever it's on, it was on premium uh, movie channels. I just was watching it, and then I thought back to the two popes, like, wait a minute, yeah, that's well, these the same assholes sprung to my mind in watching the two right. popes. Because, these same yeah. assholes are, t- are are trying to gloss over exactly. this stuff, and I hate. I mean, I can't. We grew up in the Catholic Church. We bring that bias with us, so we're very connected to this, but it's just inescapable. I think this movie wins people back to the church, and I think I've, I, I have read that. I don't think I've read that. I have it's read possible, that out there. Yeah. I think that great critics have been won over by this, yeah. and maybe it's a us problem or it's a me problem. Well, you have to bring the disdain for glossing over the fact in from the outside, because the purpose of the movie is to not shine a light on it. Yeah. Not to steal a euphemism for literally what a spotlight does, but <laughs> the purpose of the movie is to not recognize that and kind of just give a head nod to it and then focus on the great deeds these two men are doing otherwise. Well, let's be honest. There's a few important scenes that do deal directly with it. They do, yeah. It's not in-depth. It's not investigated. Right. But they don't totally ignore it. It's just that the way, I mean, so the way they handle it, we had issue with still you have to bring that disdain in with you if you don't do that then i can see you having a higher appreciation and amazingly magically we just talked about in the why it'll win section also why it won't win so i guess we don't have to do that now uh that's both arguments for both of us for the two popes so let's transition and try that's not a word let's transition and try to finish this episode off by ranking the nominees we call this perfecting perfection in a former life so what we're going to do here is we're going to take the five nominees that the academy gives us for both categories and we will rank them five through one. These are not necessarily our picks for the year. This is just what the Academy gives us and our ranking and preference of them. So, Michael, let's start with original screenplay. What is your number five? My number five is 1917. I think this is a quantity argument more than a quality argument. I mean, what we have there, the touches, the screenplay touches we have in 1917 are of a high quality. There's just not enough story. There's not enough of what I, I think the other movies bring to the table. Cosine. What's your number four? <laughs> That's my number five as well. Knives Out is actually my number four. I just think the other three are that much stronger. I don't have to get into it. Mike, your number four? Knives Out is my three. I have Parasite at four for reasons that yeah. I yelled about many times already. So, yeah, Parasite four, Knives Out is my three. What's your three, Mike? You want to know what your problem is? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I need the answer. It's been years. <laughs> you don't like Parasite. And all the rest of us do. That's probably it. I thought it was a better set. It was a hypothetical question, man. Fair enough. All right. Don't be so sensitive. Marriage Story. Marriage Story is my number three. I just think the highs are really high with it. And I, 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 I respect it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it had a very high degree of difficulty because that's a Broadway play. That's not a movie, quite frankly. I know that's been one of my biggest criticisms, but I bomb acted a great enough job where it finishes as my number two as well. But I just think there's a difference in, in quality between those four, lower four, and number one for me. Well, I actually have a surprise number two here. Uh, yeah, I hate you. You're mad at me. I get it. <laughs> once, it's not good, Mike! <laughs> once Upon a Time in Hollywood's my number two. But look, here's... I, I don't want to make an argument... I just want to say what I value typically more. I value composition. I value, you know, the story at large. Uh-huh. And I really like 
the through line of Parasite. And I know you have an issue with Act 3. The way it ends. Just once upon a time, Yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to me is more of like a tapestry film. And it's a great hangout film. But I de- it definitely got bloated at times. Uh, look, I just think Parasite's cleaner to me. Disagree. Okay, let's let's rank our five adapted screenplays. Let's get out of there quickly before this turns into a three-hour episode of us yelling at each other. <laughs> number five is the two popes for both of us, or is it? Do you have Joker? I actually have Joker. All at right. number five because I thought some of the, I was struggling with that. Some of the sins are really bothersome to me. I was I had Joker five at first. I flopped them. I flipped them. And I ended up two popes five Joker. Four. I have an issue with melodrama. At least we have Anthony McCartan addressing yep. some of the issues that we, we obviously had. We just didn't think he addressed them enough, so I put two popes at four. I said it earlier, I really dislike Joker on rewatch. The screenplay really bothers me. The screenplay is what bothers me most yeah. about Joker. So I'll be honest that in that regard, too. What's your number three? My number three is The Irishman. Yeah, it's mine, too. And it's probably an Act 1, Act 3 issue. Act 2 is his... It's great. Yeah, I'm with you. It's certainly more Act 3 than 1 for me, but you can't get past the VFX either. It's it led to a lot of good jokes with us. Also, this there year. might be 7 acts in that thing. Or yeah. 5 acts for as long as it is. Yeah. Well, if, how, or episodes. It's a mini series yeah. is what it is. It's not so, a movie. The real argument is between Jojo Rabbit and Little Women. What do you have? I had a tough time with this. I wanted to I, I put Little Women 1. Okay. I wanted too. to put Jojo at number 1. And the more I think about it, I might switch that before our predictions show. But for now, Little Women's one and JoJo's number two. I just rewatched JoJo Rabbit. I have to rewatch Little Women again. We probably should have done all of these rewatches before this episode. <laughs> There's only so much time in There's the day. There's only so much time. There's only so much time the Academy gave us. Yeah, that's true. That's, too. that's the issue. But I do have JoJo Rabbit number two, losing out by a hair. But I'm bump to Little Women, <laughs> and I lost how, the how race again. <laughs> Uh, all right, those are our top fives. That's the original and adapted screenplay categories in one massive episode uh, for your enjoyment and entertainment and for your hump day satisfaction. That sounded dirty. We want to know your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, and we want to know your personal rankings of these categories as well. You can reach out to us and leave us those comments, questions, at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter. We want to send our thanks once again to Ryan L. Terry. He is R. L. Terry. T-E-R-R-Y R-L Terry Real View R-E-E-L R-L Terry Real View that I spell enough words for you a buddy of ours there on Twitter uh, and that is his website rlterryrealview.com go check that out very very good writer very well thought out very expressive about his opinions over there on R-L Terry Real View as well uh, so go follow him go check out his website Michael I didn't even ask for five stars this episode, but you should do that for us, too, on Apple Podcast, Mike, Mike awesome. and Oscar, if you wouldn't mind doing that. But let's get some words of wisdom to end on, and let's tell good people what's coming next from MMO. More category reviews, and we'll continue to do, like, the Monday Orcs, where Oscar is checkpoints, that is, where we, you know, review the awards news of the weekend, because that's going to happen pretty much every weekend now. Yeah, it is. It's getting down to the nitty-gritty time. So uh, you'll start off your week with a big news show, and then we'll kind of do all the speculation and analysis that uh, we have fun doing, and we had fun doing here today with Ryan. And the wisdom is simply read rlterryrealview.com, and again, the Twitter handle was rlterry1. That's all for us today. Enjoy your hump day. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies, review it's these categories. It's also wise not to say hump day with a particular hump day. P. <laughs> You can't emphasize the piece. So I was much. screwed. You should have been too after that commercial. Well, you don't watch commercials. After that commercial came out, Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it? 
years ago, that was it. That's Monday, Wednesday's hump day now. That's all it is. You like commercials, don't you? No. <laughs> well, then why do you suffer through regular TV still? Why do you do that? You're just a masochist. I am. I'm a fan of self-deprecation. And pain. And pain. <laughs> you can come watch these movies, these awards, shows, and review these categories with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you very soon. See ya.